and welcome to the second Petro Nerds podcast. My name is Trisha Curtis, and I will be your host for this podcast and many others to follow. In today's podcast, we are going to discuss um, the earnings calls or do an earnings call roundup for four selected companies, Continental Resources, Oasis Petroleum, Pioneer Natural Resources, and EOG Resources. All of these companies have assets within the major shale oil plays in the U.S., and we're going to discuss them in detail and do some analysis um, to give you sort of a roundup from their Q3 or third quarter earnings calls. But before I dive right into that, I want to, you know, do some housekeeping and talk about some, some details about um, Petronerds that would like to update you on. So first and foremost, I'm actually going to be in Oxford this Thanksgiving. I'll be giving a, a presentation um, to Oxford Institute for Energy Studies at their oil day, where there's a lot of industry leaders that will we'll be discussing. Um, uh, I'll be presenting on, on U.S. shale um, and production and what's happened in the course of this downturn and what it means going forward. What are uh, the well productivity gains mean? What does that mean for the future? And is it sustainable? And then I'll be presenting the following week um, in London at the Chatham House Energy Transitions Conference. Well, I'll be discussing um, what the hydrocarbon investment environment looks like um, now and in the future years to come. So look out for these presentations. We'll try to post as much of them as we can on our website and I encourage you to download them, take a look and let us know what you think. And then uh, we are in the, we've finished a draft and we'll be releasing a paper very shortly with Oxford Institute for Energy Studies. I discussed this paper and some of the, the findings a bit within this podcast as I talk about these companies, but this paper is uh, on well productivity gains in the U.S. since the downturn. So if you're like every chief economist of any major oil company right now who's really wrestling with what's happening in the U.S. since oil prices have collapsed, and particularly how production has continued to increase for some of these producers, this is a paper you're going to want to look out for. So we, we go through every major oil basin that's actually seen productivity increases. And by that, I mean gains in well performance. So not just an increase in initial production rate, but an increase in the actual well performance. So increasing the, the amount of oil a company is getting out of the well or the life of that well. We go through that in detail, and I, I encourage you to check that out. So we'll be releasing that shortly. And last but not least, um, we are releasing or, or re-releasing our Petronerds bundle subscription package. So this package includes the full slide deck that I am utilizing today for this podcast. So every detailed information that I talk about, I basically have in the slide. And so if you're a subscriber and that subscription is um, only $249 a month, but if you're a subscriber, you get that for free. And you also get our product called Tight Oil Tallies, which I also have some samples, um, which I use in, in this presentation of very detailed examples of oh, and play overviews for the Bakken the Permian Basin and Eagle Port. So you can see what a snapshot of what some of the stuff looks like. But also in tight oil tallies, what you won't see in this presentation is we do, it's company production, it's it's well edition figures, it's a detailed um, breakdown of the top 20 producers in each of the plays. And that includes the Permian Basin, the Wilson Basin, the Eagle Ford, the DJ Basin, and the Powder River. So you get both detailed market dives from our podcast slides, as well as some data dip data-driven play summaries with key information um, that cannot be easily gleaned from conference calls or public data. So what you'll see here today, it, it looks simple, but it actually takes a lot of work to put all this stuff together for you today. Um, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, I hope you check out our, our, our slides online and share this podcast with your, your peers and your friends. And I, I encourage you to sign up. There is a, also a free trial for this, this Petronerds bundle. So if you're not willing to take that risk on the $249 a month, I completely understand that. Just sign up online. You get the first month free. Again, this, this is a monthly subscription. So this is a thing you get each month. You get the slides to the podcast and you get title Italies and you can download a full sample of title Italies on the website. That's $249 a month, first month three, free, sorry, free. You can cancel at any time. All right, now moving on into the companies. Continental Resources. Continental Resources is a primary shale oil and gas producer. They're one of the major independent oil and gas operators in the U.S., and they are, certainly are one of the pioneers in the domestic shale oil and gas space. Their primary assets are located in the Williston Basin in the Bakken and in the Anadarko Basin, what they call the stack and scoop plays, which in other podcasts we'll dive into a little bit deeper. But we will talk today about um, what's going on within the Anadarko Basin. So Continental Resources is known 
uh, for being uh, outspoken. Uh, their CEO is uh, Harold Hamm. He was on the news um, yesterday after the election and discussing, um, you know, the promises for, for oil and gas within this administration. And um, for years, they've talked about the billions of barrels in the Bakken, and they've been correct about that. The, the reserves have just kept on growing in the Bakken. Uh, however, in this oil price downturn, Continental Resources has emphasized the Anadarka Basin and their stack and scoop plays and, and their, their assets in the Anadarka Basin, which are primarily located in Oklahoma, versus the Bakken. And that goes in line with what essentially all these companies have done, and that's because they hold their acreage by production in the Bakken, whereas they don't hold their acreage, not all of their acreage by production in the Anadarko Basin. And the Anadarko Basin, partly because of Continental Resources and others like Devon, it has received a lot of hype and attention. Uh, so they've they've directed the hype and attention sort of toward the Anadarko Basin and, and said this is sort of our, our future growth story. While at the same time, in this recent conference call, they've talked about how they're getting back to work in the Bakken. So if we talk about these two assets, in the in the earnings call in the in the Q3 earnings call in November, Continental Resources um, discussed that they they did a high density test um, in what they call the um, the Merrimack. And if you're looking in if you're looking on your your data sources, you're looking for the reservoirs. You're probably not going to find it uh, because these wells one may not be online publicly, and two um, that actual reservoir I'm not finding in, in terms of uh, Continental Resources reservoirs. But they talk a lot about the this big density test they, they put on in the Anadarko Basin, and then they talk about bringing online uh, two, two frac crews of their own internal frac crews that they're going to bring online in North Dakota, and they're going to start um, working down some of these drilled but uncompleted wells. So just as an overview, Continental Resources, these two assets they're producing, they have about 100,000 barrels a day of production in the Wilson Basin, um, primarily in um, in the Bakken, obviously, and about 200,000 MCF a day, um, that's 1,000 cubic feet a day of, of gas that they're producing. And this production has has declined, along with um, other major producers in North Dakota who have sort of stopped drilling and, and completing wells because they hold their acreage by production. Continental Resources has done the same, so we've seen that production sort of slip, but it's still about 100,000 barrels per day. And this is roughly about 1,700, around 1,700 wells. Now, their actual production in Anadarko Basin, and I think this is important to talk about because it is um, the what they're talking about the most, at least in their the last couple earnings calls, is um, how much are they actually producing? What can we see? And the truth to the matter is that when you're looking up Oklahoma production, it's relatively erratic. If you actually look up on EIA and you look at Oklahoma production, it, it kind of moves and ebbs and flows, and the reporting isn't perfect. So Oklahoma production itself is about 120 or 420,000 barrels per day right now, and that's off from a peak of March of 2015 when it was 475,000 barrels per day. So Continental Resources discussing their um, – you know, significant acreage position in the Anadarko Basin, primarily, like I said, in Oklahoma, in the stack and scoop plates. What are they actually producing? It's 14,000 barrels per day, liquids, and 280,000 MCF a day um, of gas, and roughly 350 wells. Now, that being said, clearly the wells that they're talking about in their conference call, in the latest earnings call, are not necessarily in here. And the the play here is that while they talk a lot about oil production um, and they say that they are they do have assets in the oil window and they're bringing on these oil wells, there is a lot of gas production. The Anadarko Basin is rich in gas um, and it is rich in associated um, gas liquids, um, both in, in the form of, of condensate coming up a, as a liquid and in terms of the natural gas liquids that are coming um, out of the stream of associated gas. So those are two important factors. However, the the liquid side isn't as much. So when we're talking fourteen thousand barrels a day, it's just not a lot of lic- of of actual oil or condensate production. And when you look at the numbers in terms of API gravity, they're also very erratic. And that's something important to to point out about the Anadarko Basin is that the API figure is very similar. This is similar in many ways to the Eagle Ford, um, where the API gravity is, is slightly erratic. And that's something to take into consideration when you're looking at these assets, is that um, it's, there's definitely a lot of liquids there. It, it's definitely rich, uh, but it means that it's, it's not just a, a 45 API gravity crude oil um, that you're going to take to the bank. So when we're looking at 
on the gas wells, and there's a breakup um, when you're looking at continental resources in the Anadarka Basin. They they have about 51 wells that we call liquids or oil wells that are primarily liquids, and 39 wells designated as gas. And of those 51 liquid wells, you have eight of them over 51 plus API, um, uh, you know, gravity. You have uh, about 22 wells between 46 and 50 API, and then the rest you have under, you know, you have 16 wells under 45 API gravity. So it's not, you have actually some pretty heavy crude in here, but the point is that they're a bit across the board and there's some really light stuff in here. Additionally, on the gas side, you have the liquids that come with it on API gravity. You're looking at 15 wells that have a, a 51 plus API gravity and about 11 wells that are between 46 and 50. So again, the, the API gravity is erratic um, and the, you know, you tend to be, some of these areas are obviously tend to be uh, more on the very, very light stuff with very high API gravities, this, this condensate. And it's similar to the Eagle Ford in this regard because the gravities change. If you think about the Eagle Ford and you know that there's a, a crude oil window, sort of a, a volatile oil and condensate window, and then it turns into gas. And that's because of the, the geology and the depositional environment that, that created this. Um, but the actual geology and, and structure is, is basically as you move from... from um, west to east, you go from oil to, to natural gas um, as the reservoir is cooked, and you increase in depth and thermal maturity and, and pressure and everything, or, uh, and, and temperature. In the Anadarka Basin, it's essentially flipped. So you first have, uh, you first have gas and then sort of condensate and volatile oil, oil and, then, and then oil on the other side. So it's a bit reverse. And some of the continental resource assets, as they're, they're pointing out, they believe are in the overpressured oil window. Now, in terms of where they're actually active or have been active um, in the Anadarko Basin in the past, um, since the oil price downturned, I think that's important to point out because they've discussed this play a lot, is that they have, basically since January 2015, the wells that they brought online uh, on in terms of gas wells and the associated liquids that come with that, it's been... It's not a whole, not a ton of wells. Um, it's 36 wells, and there's been about a thousand barrels a day of, of associated sort of liquids production, and about 216,000 MCF of gas. That's for the 36 gas wells Continental Resources has brought online in the Anadarko Basin. For the liquids wells, for the oil and liquids wells, 48 wells that I showed that they brought online. There's about seven 7,600 barrels a day of of liquids production and no gas production right now. And that's again because if you look at these charts, the um, it goes up and down, and right now it, it's showing zero, and that'll obviously probably be revised as, as more data comes in. And the, the reservoirs in which they're targeting um, are largely the Woodford, Springer, and Hunton. So the Woodford has received uh, the bulk of the attention. So 53 wells have been in the Woodford Reservoir, uh, and that's most prominent right now. Now, if we compare this to the overall Anadarko Basin, there's about 61,000 producing wells right now in the Anadarko Basin. And like I said, as you sort of move north, um, this, this is, covers multiple states. And if, if you move north from Oklahoma, you have more oil assets. There's a lot of legacy assets in here. And the whole basin is producing about 320,000 barrels a day um, of oil. And if we look at how um, continental resources sort of stacks according to the top producers and the um, – or, or those with the most wells. Um, if we're looking at daily oil production, continental resources is about six down the list. So Chesapeake is above them, Newfield, Devon, Sandridge, um, and then continental resources. Then if we're looking at um, in terms of gas production, and like I said, this is a big gas play as much as it is folks want to talk about the oil. It is it is a big gas-rich um, and condensate play as well. So if we're looking at gas production, um, it's first Devon, Chesapeake, and then Continental Resources is third. And if we're looking just on a sheer property count of who has the most wells, you have Chesapeake, Lynn, ConocoPhillips, BP, Exxon, Anadarko, and if you're looking sort of the top 10, um, Continental Resources really isn't even in there. In terms of all these wells have been sort of brought onto production since January 2015, and if we look at the 
Um, if we look at the reservoirs, um, the biggest ones are the Mississippian, the Cleveland, and again, the Woodford receives the bulk of the attention. So Continental Resources is right in line with that. Now, switching gears a little bit on Continental Resources, we're going to talk about where they're at in the Bakken. Now, in their latest earnings call, they discussed that they were going to bring two frat crews back in North Dakota and they were going to, or in, into the Bakken, and they were going to start. Um, completing some of their uncompleted well inventory. They expect their ducks to be, their drilled but uncompleted wells, um, to be 175 um, left at the end of 2016 compared to what they had thought about 190, 195. Now, they say they're doing this because they believe the market has, has fundamentally shifted. So part of their increased activity in the Anadarka Basin as well as Um, the Wilson Basin and the Bakken is that they've increased their capital expenditures for the year by 180 million to 1.1 billion um, basically due to this increased activity and quote we believe supply and demand have rebalanced and this supports our measured increase in completion activity we expect to have four completion crews in service in the Bakken by year end 2016 likely increasing next year so this is their their reasoning sort of behind this and they believe that the economics on these wells are really good Uh, they say that right now their cost for drilling and completing a Bakken well is roughly six million dollars and for just completing it it's 3.5 million dollars so that's what you can think about those numbers in terms of how much they're going to be spending to complete some of this this drilled but uncompleted inventory right now. And they also talk a lot, and this is important to note, uh, they talk a lot about their enhanced completions and using diverters. So in previous conference calls, they talk a lot more about uh, what they're doing to you know, alter their completions, as, as many companies have talked about. But they, they discuss their enhanced completions, whether using diverter technology. They also um, mentioned that they use a significant amount of sand and they're testing more volumes of sand as they go and that these these wells with these enhanced completions do see incremental costs um, but they see those in, in substantial returns coming back to them in terms of production so if we look at the the wells one if we just look in comparison to how continental stacks up um, in the Bakken they are the top producer. So right now continental resources is number one in the Wilson Basin according to our our data here at uh, Petronerds. Their production is, is like I said, roughly 100,000 barrels per day. Um, if you're looking at more complete data, it could be a little bit higher than that, but they are the number one producer with, with Whiting underneath them and then Hess, um, Exxon, which is XTO, ConocoPhillips, QEP, etc. So as this as production has declined in the Wilson Basin and a lot of operators, like I've said, have reduced their drilling completion activity, um, the top performers have changed, and Continental Resources is definitely at the top. And Wilson Basin production stands at about a million barrels per day in, in the whole Wilson Basin, and clearly North Dakota itself is is well under a million barrels per day right now. In terms of the um, where Continental stacks up in, in wells that were brought online in the course of this downturn, so wells that have basically been brought onto production since January 2015, from January 2015 to now, Continental Resources has added 165 wells. By comparison, Hess is at the top, they've added 288, Exxon has added 239, in comparison to a couple other companies, Oasis has added 98 wells, and EOG has added 53. So Continental Resources added plenty of wells, but they've been, they haven't done a whole lot in 2016. So this bringing these frat crews back and then saying they're probably going to bring more is pretty meaningful, and it means they're going to increase this production. And they're very, as I, I've said, Harold Hamm is very outspoken about the Bakken. He's been absolutely correct in terms of the reserves being proved up and increased. Um, and he said there were, you know, hundreds of billions of barrels down there basically years and years ago. Um, and that is certainly proved to be true. Now, last but not least on Continental Resources, I, I, we, we're going to talk about this because we've, we've been talking about uh, well Im- improvements and productivity gains here at PetroNerds a lot. We're, we've released a paper um, that will be released soon with Oxford Institute for Energy Studies regarding well productivity improvements in the U.S., and so we spent a lot of time um, looking at company decline curves, uh, their decline curves by reservoir, et cetera. So I think it's important to talk about when we're, we're looking at these companies and their earnings calls, what does their actual um, decline curve or type curve look like as a company? And are we actually seeing uh, well improvement and productivity gains in 2015 and 2016? And for Continental Resources, in 2015, they, they had about 250 wells, 255 wells that 
that would be in that decline curve. And if you're listening to this and you can't see the chart online on the slideshow, you can see that it's it's basically where you have your initial production rate at the top and then these, these wells decline fairly rapidly. And the, the push in the industry right now is to try to obviously increase the initial production and the output of those wells, but to also try to reduce those declines so that you're getting more oil out of these wells for a longer period of time. And therefore, you've sunk the cash and you're just getting this this return on on with this oil production and, it, and it's inexpensive to the producer. So in 2015, Continental Resources did pretty well. Their actual IPs didn't increase dramatically over 2014, but their, um, the curve shifted outward, which means that in several months they were, they were taking in more oil than they were in the previous year from these wells. And it means that the, the EUR, or what we call the estimated ultimate recovery, what a well is going to produce in a lifetime is actually increasing. And that is big. Um, that's very big for the individual companies and big for the industry because it means a lot more oil is coming out of these rocks um, than we previously expected. So in 2016, if we're looking at their decline curve, and again, this can probably be because of, of some of the, the the poor data that we we're seeing out of um, in the Anadarka Basin, but the their, their IPs and performance is relatively erratic, and you can take a look at that um, on, the, on the attached slide deck. So we will move now on to another company. Okay, Oasis Petroleum. Oasis Petroleum, if you know anything about them, they are a pure Bakken player. So unlike Continental Resources or EOG or Pioneer Natural Resources, this company only has assets basically and only producing assets and are really active in, in one major shale oil play, and that is the Bakken uh, in the Wilson Basin. So they have been active since the boom happened. They are a top 10 producer. And if you um, have paid attention to their story or anything, you probably know that they are heavily traded by the hedge fund community. So at least when oil prices came down, uh, their stock price came down um, significantly with it and they were traded. And the stock price has come down and it's sort of been relatively flatlined since um, oil prices have collapsed. And they have a sort of a market cap just under $3 billion. Now, in this oil price downturn, this company has been very interesting to follow because they're sort of one of these companies that you might look at as a bellwether or an example of have they been able to sort of follow suit with some of these other leading uh, peers of, of increasing well performance. So when we look at Oasis's acreage and their assets, they have about 744 wells that are producing right now. In um, And this is, again, like I said, in the Wilson Basin. Their acreage is um, in mainly in a couple sections in Burke, Montreux counties. They also have in significant acreage and wells in Williams and McKinsey counties, and also reaches in into Montana into Roosevelt um, County as well. Their production is has declined since oil prices have have dropped, along with a lot of production um, and and companies that they're producing in in North Dakota and the Wilson Basin. Production stands about fifty two thousand barrels a day right now. Um, and about 80,000 MCF a day of gas. And it's important to note that that gas production has increased rather significantly um, as as prices have come down and as oil production has come down. And that's aligned with some other companies as well who have, one, the, the drilling and acreage that produces more gas, two, they're, they're capturing it and sending it to their gas plant. And um, three, again, they're just they're really just capturing that. So before, whereas we were seeing that being flared or or maybe um, not, uh, not being measured appropriately. We're seeing it being measured now, and that's come up a bit. Um, and that can also be because you have wells that are older, and they've hit sort of the bubble point in the reservoir, and so they increase in, in gas production naturally. So about 744 wells, as I said, 52,000 barrels a day of production. Now, what's really happened in there um, over the course of this downturn um, in terms of well performance? If we look at their well performance, it's it's increased. I mean, we've certainly seen IP increases. So this in 2016, the wells that they brought online, which is just about 18 wells, it's it's not very much. It's it's not nearly as many as they they brought online in 2015. They brought 75 wells online. So when we look at this this type curve or decline rate um, for Oasis Petroleum, it's not as um, it's not a significant uptick. The IP is is increasing, but the whole actual well performance is increasing as much as it did from 2014 to 2015. So in in 
2016, those 18 wells, the IP averaged 671 barrels per day, which for Oasis is quite good, and actually for the basin is quite good. So their initial production rate was 671 barrels per day. In 2015, that was 538 barrels per day. So we're seeing a, a pretty significant uplift. And the curve, in, in what I mean by that is the, the well performance and therefore the estimated ultimate recovery and basically what they're achieving for, for growth in those wells is about the same as what they had. And, and you can see the curve in the chart on, on on these slides is, is roughly in line with 2015. But you can also see that it's significantly higher than it was in 2014. So um, 325,000 barrels a day IP was with the average um, IP for 2014. And that's, that is relatively significant for this company. And if you look at where their wells that they've added, you know, in, in 2015, again, they had roughly 78 wells and in 2016, only 18. And these are right in line with their core acreage positions. Now, what has this company told us over the past, um, in, in the course of this downturn, and really in, in the most recent um, conference call, and that's that, you know, they're they're continuing to test um, 20 million pounds of sand um, in a well, and they're they're doing this with roughly 50 stages. So they're continuing to test pumping 20 million pounds of propent, and that propent being sand down a well at 50 stages, and they are doing, I think, regularly 10 along the lines of, our, of many companies in uh, the Wilson Basin, about 10 million pounds to 20 million pounds of profit in some of these wells. Now, they say it's the early days for getting definitive results from some of these, but um, needless to say, they've definitely increased the profit loadings for these wells since the downturn and are, are continuing to increase that. And we are certainly seeing um, the benefits of that in, in their IP rates, and we certainly saw that in the performance, at least for the first year um, in 2015. They've increased their efficiency gains, um, and, and most notably through their, their spud to rig release um, has been uh, in, in just a few days. So they've been able to spud and, and get rid of that rig and, and finish drilling that well in, in, is in days as opposed to um, a matter of weeks before this downturn took place. And they say that they're poised essentially to actually grow in this current price environment. So even if prices were to stay in this 45-50 range, um, they believe they can actually grow production in this. And part of that is because they're estimating well costs to be about 5.2 million right now. Now, they actually see with this increased um, propent usage, and as we're noting, it's it's anywhere between 10 and 20 million pounds of sand per well, that um, they know in their recent conference call in November that they believe there could be a call on pressure pumping. They don't see it yet, and they don't see that sort of price increases in North Dakota right now, but they do think that with all this increased propent usage that there's potential, obviously, that um, there could be a call on on, on pressure pumping services um, that could take place in the, in the coming year or the in 2017 if, if if prices are increased. The other thing to note about this company is that, um, as I said, they're, they're heavily or have been heavily traded by the hedge fund community, and um, they're sort of one of these companies that you might look at and say, well, you know, have they done well in this downturn? And something they point out, and I think is important to note, is that. They've been free cash flow positive over the course of 2015 and 2016. So cumulatively, they, they and I'll quote, cumulative free cash flow since the beginning of 2015 remains positive by more than 40 million. And for a smaller company, when we're looking at sort of what, you know, these shale oil plays look like in these types of companies and can smaller companies or mid-sized companies like this perform in this downturn and become free cash flow positive, this is, this is a positive sign uh, for the industry. Now, they also... Part of this is because uh, they see the differentials narrowing in um, in the Wilson Basin. So they, you know, noted them as low in the low four dollars, but actually the the discount and by differentials I mean the discount they're receiving um, per barrel of oil that they're selling into the market is roughly between four and five dollars off of West Texas Intermediate crude prices. So if West Texas Intermediate is forty five; they're getting about forty one bucks or, or forty bucks for that barrel. And they've really focused on sort of or at least talk about focusing on trying to live within that cash flow. Uh, another important thing to know is that they they actually purchased some assets um, and they announced this in October. Uh, they plan on having this these assets, this purchase close in, in December of 2016. And they purchased this from SM Energy, who seems to be exiting the Wilson Basin entirely. Um, it was 55,000 net acres that they purchased. And that was about 226 gross operated um, well, or locations that they bought that's largely in Williams and McKinsey counties, and they purchased these 55,000 net acres from from SM Energy for 785 million. And by most standards, you could say this was a, a pretty clean bolt-on acreage position. So 
I encourage you to go to um, their investor slide deck and you can see where they map out where their acreage is and, and where the SM Energy purchases, or at least where those their their assets they purchase on. And they're relatively, most of it is, is a bolt-on acreage position. So it seems to be a, a decent purchase um, by SM Energy. That should be noted just as, a, as an, uh, an offshoot is that um, SM Energy actually, after they sold this or while they're doing this, they actually recently purchased um, 35,700 net acres in um, the Permian Basin. So they seem to be doubling down a bit in the Permian Basin. And obviously they were looking for um, adding on bolt-on positions for, so they could increase their continuous contiguous acreage positions. And obviously um, as, as many Permian producers are trying to drill longer laterals and such. And they um, per, they paid 1.1 billion in cash for uh, 35,700 net acres, just as a side note. So that's a, a rough overview of uh, Oasis Petroleum. Okay, Pioneer Natural Resources. Pioneer Natural Resources, we're going to spend some time talking about them because we're going to switch gears a little bit from talking about companies like Continental and Oasis who have um, a lot of production in the Bakken. And we talked about Continental Resources and this sort of hype around the Anadarko Basin. And, and hopefully you get a little color on where the hype is coming from. Now we're going to talk about um, largely and mostly about the Permian Basin because that's where Pioneer Natural Resources, um, the bulk of their assets are. And they've made some outstanding um, well productivity gains over the course of this oil price downturn. Uh, as I mentioned in our introduction, we have, um, we've been working on this paper for Oxford Institute for Energy Studies regarding well productivity gains in the US. And definitely one of the standouts is Pioneer Natural Resources in the Midland Basin, um, which is in, in the Permian Basin, and some of their well performances. Now, we'll just talk quickly about what this company has talked about in the earnings call um, in their Q3 earnings call and what they discussed. And the first is that they're producing about 240,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Um, now, if we, we look um, to these slides and we see what, where is their production breakout and where is it actually, it is uh, essentially Pioneer's research, natural resources assets are in, if you look at the map, they're in the, the Permian Basin and in the Eagle Ford. That's their, their biggest workhorses. And Production has actually declined a bit in the Eagle Ford because they've spent a lot of their, um, you know, the emphasis on activity in, in the Permian Basin. So in the Eagle Ford production is about, in the Eagle Ford Reservoir in particular, production is about 41,000 barrels per day. It's, it's come off, but not a, a dramatic drop. About 255,000 MCF a day and about, um, it's 594 producing wells. In contrast, in the Permian Basin, which again, like I said, Pioneer Natural Resources largely produces from the uh, in the Spray Prairie area in the in the Trend Area Reservoir, and it's in the Midland Basin. So if you if you think about the Permian Basin, it's sort of a footprint of, of two big feet. Um, and on the left one, or the one toward the west, is part of New Mexico and the Texas Panhandle, um, and that's the Delaware Basin. And then um, the the right foot is uh, toward the east is called the Midland Basin, and that's a, the traditional area where you saw a lot of historical uh, vertical drilling um, and completion activity up until uh, very recently when companies started switching um, in the last few years to horizontal activity. So they have a huge foothold in, um, in the Midland Basin. They actually have 800,000 net acres um, largely in the in Midland Basin controlling the Spurberry and, and Wolf Camp. Production is 175,000 barrels per day. Uh, 354,000 MCF a day, and about 77,455 7, wells that are actually producing. Now, the unique part of this is is what the horizontal wells. So I, I put another slide in, in my presentation here, and you can see that uh, there's 11,419 vertical wells um, that Pioneer has. That's a lot of vertical wells, and only 768 horizontal wells. That's it, 768 for the whole company, um, which is pretty big. And it, again, like I said, it's only been the past few years that they've really pushed this horizontal drilling program. And we'll get back to some of these data points and results after we discuss what they've reported and, and see if they've sort of, they sort of match up. So they talk about this production, and they really emphasize in their conference call, their earnings call, and, and having last several calls, they have this um, completion optimization program. So they talked to, it's like version 1.0, which is 
which is how they did it before, version 2.0, which is what they've sort of been doing in 2015 and moving into 2016, how they really changed completion designs with version 3.0. And what that refers to is really increasing the, um, trying to increase your, your lateral length. So because they have um, 800,000 acres in this play, they, they do have a, a substantial portion of contiguous acreage positions. That means that acreage that is actually next to each other so they can build long, they can drill and complete with longer lateral lengths. And that's been really significant in the Permian Basin because as producers have been able to um, increase their lateral length, they've been able to increase their well performance. So they're, um, they're getting more out of their wells and they're not seeing a decreasing uh, rate of return as they, as they drill longer laterals, actually seeing an increase. So even though they increase the cost of these wells by drilling longer laterals, the payout is substantially better. And that has been a problem for a lot of Permian Basin producers because they haven't necessarily had um, continuous acreage positions where they can drill those longer lateral lengths. And again, like I said, just to emphasize, it's only been in the past four years that you've seen this is the big change in, um, in the switch from vertical to horizontal. Now, and if you remember from the previous podcast, I talked about how many vertical walls were actually added in 2015 in the downturn, and it was, it was well over a thousand vertical walls that were actually added. So back to Pioneer. So this big acreage position now on this version 3.0, this completion optimization program. So basically what it means is that you have longer laterals, you're optimizing the stage length. So the stage of those tractors, the clusters per stage and the fluid volumes and product concentration. So as they've increased these, these 1.0 to 2.0, 3.0, essentially what they've done is they've increased the fluids that they're pumping down the well per lateral foot and the pounds of propent per lateral foot. So the increased amount of sand, and, and they are largely pumping sand. Uh, Pioneer Natural Resources, similar to um, EOG, actually owns their own uh, frac sand. So that's a big uh, a biggie for them because um, they own it. So it's, it reduces a significant amount of cost and they're able to use a lot more. So they, they commenced these enhanced completion designs or version 3.0, and they're, um, the larger profit concentrations are 1,700 pounds of sand per foot or pounds of propin per foot, larger fluid concentrations up to 50 barrels per foot, tighter cluster spacing down to 15, and shorter stage spacing down to 100 feet. Um, they say that the cost of this design, and as they've gotten better with the designs, the cost does go up. So the incremental cost is about 500000 to a million per well. Um, and this is important to point out because most companies have talked about this is where they've increased the, prop, the amount of propent, the sand they're putting down the well, and that's actually increased the cost. And if they're drilling also longer laterals, that's increasing the cost. However, they are, they've decreased the cost overall because of um, they've increased efficiency gains. So they've, they've been able to drill um, quicker, so they've been able to do spud to rig release um, in a matter of days, and so that's reduced cost, and they've been able to actually complete the wells a lot quicker. So despite this cost going up, they're increasing productivity, and they said that they're reducing their costs. And actually, they break down their costs, and I encourage you to take a look at the presentation because it's actually, um, it's they put a lot of information there, and it's good. And actually, in their in their just their earnings in their press release, they, they have a lot of this information. So they've decreased the cost per lateral foot. Um, and they, they break out the costs that of, of the actual reservoirs of the drilling in. So the Wolf Camp A and the Wolf Camp B intervals, because um, you have multiple intervals in, in the Wolf Camp. And then they talk about drilling in a lower Sprayberry Shale. And these numbers estimate um, all in drilling completion costs average between 8 million and 5.8 million um, in these wells. And so the wells that they're they're going to be adding on that they did this year and they're going to be adding on the, the average the estimate is about seven million and that's pretty big because if you look at some of the estimates and I know EOG had put in their earnings call what they what they showed for the um, the Permian Basin and just a couple of years ago it was you know uh, again this was a lot of the science in the wells but it was it was around fifteen million a well um, and now that's coming down uh, closer to eight for a lot of these companies so that's very big. And the other thing is, is that, and we can confirm this, is that Pioneer talks about their um, very consistent and repeatable well results. So especially in the course of 2015 and 2016, they've really increased um, the well performance in the in these wells, and they they have some of the best performing wells in the Midland Basin. And we've we've actually confirmed that because in this well productivity report we did um, or this study, uh, some of the standouts were definitely from Pioneer. And they they seem to have some significant repeatability. And they, they've drilled a lot more wells than some other producers, so we have a lot more data to go by. The uh, 
the a couple other things that they just they mention um, are that the, as they bring on more of these wells in in the fourth quarter of 2016, they do talk a lot about the timing uh, with the water disposal and the infrastructure. So it, the Permian Basin does produce a lot of water, and that's something to be cognizant of when you're looking at companies in the Permian Basin of, of how they're handling the water and if they've increased the their efficiency gains or the ability to handle that um, and set up infrastructure during this downturn um, that's going to help them with costs probably in the future. And they are rejecting actually a lot of ethane because the uh, ethane prices are, are so poor right now. They are also um, uh, increasing their rig count. So they went from 12 to 17 rigs. Uh, they're also going to add two. So they added three rigs, rigs in September and October, and they're going to add two more rigs in November. And they're maintaining their, their budget. They set a capital budget of $2.1 billion for 2016. They say this is all being maintained. And then they expect 17, uh, they're essentially ex expecting 17 rigs um, in 2017. And uh, they're essentially have the funding sort of laid out for 2017. And some of the comments made in the conference call are relatively interesting because um, they're not too worried about the oil price environment uh, abroad. And this is sentiment that you're, you're sort of seeing from a, a lot of the producers and in in producers like Pioneer and some of the bigger guys in the U.S. right now is that they are they're pretty optimistic with what's going on with their own company and their own performance in the U.S. Um, and, and many, obviously, companies are going to be optimistic about about their opportunities, but they are um, not as optimistic about the global picture. So what is OPEC going to do uh, come November 30th? Are they going to reach an agreement? And actually, Scott Sheffield said on the call, on, his, on the Q3 earnings call, that he gives OPEC a 40% chance of agreement. And even if they did agree, they would probably cheat. Um, and if this takes place, so we won't really have a rebalancing in in the crude oil market until 2018. And so we'll be hanging out in this, this sort of $50, $55 range. And for companies like Pioneer, that's not a horrible, um, at least in this case, they're, they're doing okay in that price range. So um, like many of the companies we've talked about today, they're um, they're trying to maintain, you know, costs within their capital program and, and maintain this um, work within their cash flow. So it's working for them. It's obviously not going to work for every company. And, and you're certainly going to have a lot of companies that are going to struggle if, if prices continue to hang in this this environment. But I have to tell you that when you when you're going through these earnings calls and you're talking to these companies, there's a sense of optimism because they feel like they have um, gotten their house more in order and they they are increasing well productivity um, and efficiency gains and trying to maintain costs. So that's just one thing to note. The other thing is that. Um, Pioneer, just as a little bit, they purchased 28,000 net acres from Devon um, for $429 million. This was in Martin County, so right in the, the heart of their stuff, and this was obviously in the Midland Basin. Okay, so if we look at how Pioneer stacks up in both the Permian um, and the Eagle Ford for wells that were added sort of since January 2015 or since this downturn, they are number four in the basin for, uh, in the Permian Basin for wells added. So um, just above them is Occidental has added about 664 wells, Apache 452, Concha 430, and Pioneer has added 426. Um, since January 2015, wells have been, have been brought onto production. Um, EOG is, is sort of at the bottom of the top 10 there with 164. And again, if we, EOG and, and Pioneer Natural Resources, EOG is largely in the Delaware Basin, a lot of stuff in New Mexico, whereas um, Pioneer Natural Resources, again, is in the middle and basically in that sort of right foot there. In terms of the Eagle Ford, um, EOG is not, um, EOG is at the top, obviously, in the Eagle Ford. So by comparison um, for adding wells, EOG added 518 wells, by far the largest well adder um, in the Eagle Ford. In comparison, Pioneer Natural Resources added only 125 wells in the course of this downturn. And if you sort of look at where they're their wells are they're on that um, they're on the edge of that uh, EOG sort of in that in that crude oil window um, and uh, where Pioneer Natural Resources has added wells has has been a bit it's it's more condensate um, um, there's definitely some oil in there but it's you're in that bald oil and condensate window okay in terms of production and this is really where I think the story is for Pioneer Natural Resources is that. The Permian Basin is producing, um, has continued to, to gain strength throughout this price downturn. And I know we mentioned this a bit in our in the previous podcast, and I mentioned it already a bit, but it's received a lot of hype and attention. And that's because so many producers have been trying to prove up their acreage, 
delineate their assets and really prove to shareholders that they are part of this, uh, they're part of this amazing play. Um, because as, as the Permian has received a lot of hype and attention, I mean, acreage prices ha- are up to 40000 to 60000 per acre. That is incredibly high for a $45 to $50 WTI oil price. And it's really pricing out a lot of folks. So companies like Pioneer Natural Resources have a lot of legacy assets, um, and they aren't working as hard to drill and hold their acreage by production. So they've been given the flexibility um, and capital flexibility to, to drill and, and sort of do what they want and, and prove up other stuff and, and work on these enhanced completions. So Permian Basin production has continued to increase, albeit um, that pace has definitely slowed down. But production is over um, 2 million barrels per day. And again, I'm referencing this screenshot from our, our product title, Tallies, that has all this information broke down for you. So you can check out our slides and see an example of that. So production is continuing to increase. We see it sort of flatlining um, as in the next several months. Um, that doesn't mean that well performance and, and companies are going to continue to improve. Um, but you have, uh, when you break down vertical production in the Permian Basin, so um, historical vertical production is really coming off and horizontal production has continued to increase, but that vertical production is taking a chunk out of it. So if we look at the top 20 producers, um, the only one above Pioneer Natural Resources in the Permian is actually Oxy. Oxy's production has actually dropped a few thousand barrels per day in the last several months, whereas Pioneer production has gained substantially uh, about the thir- 11,300 barrels per day. Um, and the only other one that's gained, a lot of companies have actually gained, and just underneath them is is Concho, and they've added 16,000 barrels per day in the last few months as well. So that's big. The other thing to note about the Permian Basin is that it is very different in terms of, you know, when you think about the Eagle Ford and the Bakken, it's largely, those both of those oil plays um, are controlled by the top 10 producers. Most of the production is controlled by the top 10 producers. So if you look at, um, if you take a look at the slides that we share here, we show you the how the operator statistics are broken out and um, the oil producer concentration. So um, in the Bakken, it's, like I said, top 10 producers control most of it, same in the Eagle Ford. Whereas in the Permian Basin, you have 2 million barrels a day, about a million barrels a day are controlled by the top 10 producers. And all the other producers, and there are hundreds of them, literally hundreds, are controlling another million barrels per day. So it is more diverse in terms of that. And that has also been beneficial um, for, I think, maintaining production levels um, and activity through this downturn. Now, we're just going to conclude on Pioneer Natural Resources with with what really makes them stand out. And is their earnings and conference calls and everything they say actually accurate with what we see in the well production, and it most definitely is. So as I mentioned, we looked at them for this paper that we're doing, and um, I can in the in the slides I, I put here what their their company decline curve is. And so if you look at their decline curve, and as I mentioned before, this shows the an increase in initial production rate, but also shows over the last you know six to nine months have they is the curve up? So have they increased um, oil production from the previous year, and therefore is the estimated ultimate recovery of that well increasing? of their company increasing? And the, the answer is yes. So in 2016, the IP is 680 barrels per day. Um, that's about 174 wells included in that. And uh, compared to 2015, where their IP had increased substantially from 2014, and it was 100 or 459 barrels per day in 2015, and there 380 wells were included in that. And you can see on this chart that 2014, um, they were increasing well performance from the, the previous years. From 2012, 2013 had an increase, 2014, and the whole curves were sort of shifting out. And then we saw some really big gains between 2014 and 2016 for the company. Now, these 768 horizontal wells that we're looking at, if you look at that production only, that's 134,000 barrels a day of production. And again, Pioneer said in their earnings call, they, they have 239,000 BOE a day of production. Um, I'm telling you right now that 134,000 barrels a day uh, from that is just from the horizontal wells in the Permian Basin. They are their workhorse. They have gone to town. They haven't seen any, you know, blip in production. They've, if you look at this chart, they've really continued to increase output between 2014 and, and to date. Um, and about 240,000 MCF a day of associated gas production from those wells. And if we look at the the type curve or the decline curve for just these horizontal wells, it's absolutely outstanding. So uh, again, similar to the company curve, the IPs have increased over several years, and we've seen the biggest sort of well improvements between 2014 and 2016. So the whole curve is sort of shifting up. And so their horizontal 
wells are IPing at 744 barrels per day. And yes, they're declining, but that again, that curve is shifting up. Um, that was in 2016. There are about 135 wells calculated in that. Um, the IP for 2015 was 518 barrels per day, and there's about 216 wells in that. And again, that whole curve is shifted out. So if you compare um, what they're making month over month on average in terms of oil production from 2014, it's a lot more. So it's not just increasing the IP and then the well is declining and it's, it's back where it was before. So that concludes uh, the, the roundup on Pioneer Natural Resources. EOG Resources, as I've talked to you before, is a, is a premier operator in the U.S. shale oil patch. Now, we talked about them relatively extensively in the previous podcast when I was discussing the um, combination of assets between EOG and Yates Petroleum or the acquisition of Yates Petroleum by EOG. So I'm not going to spend too much time today, you know, belaboring the point about what EOG is doing, but I want to do an earnings call sort of recap um, because they did discuss some things at earnings call and they're a nice contrast to, to be talking to with, because um, they're in a different portion of the Permian Basin than Pioneer Natural Resources, but they've seen very similar well productivity gains. Um, and they also discuss some of the same ways in which they're achieving those productivity gains and also increasing efficiency gains and reducing costs. And additionally, EOG is present in um, every sort of major shale oil play. So EOG has a substantial position in the Bakken, in the Wilson Basin, um, in the Rockies, in the Powder River Basin, and uh, the, the Wyoming portion of the, of the Denver-Julesburg Basin. And they have a, a very sizable portion or, or big activity in portion in the Permian Basin, um, largely on the in the Delaware Basin, as I explained before, sort of that left foot, um, and a lot in, in New Mexico, as I've discussed, as well as a very sizable portion of, of acreage and assets in the Eagle Ford. So EOG is a good company to look at if you're trying to figure out what's going on in the place, and they're also a good company to talk about because I'm, I'm going to explain what's happening in, in most of those places. So we t we've talked about what they're you know, we've talked about the Wilson Basin and every and and uh, haven't talked about the Rockies too much in in this podcast. But what they're producing right now in in the Wilson Basin is about forty seven thousand barrels a day of production as of August, sixty six thousand MCF a day of gas, and six hundred thirty eight wells um, in the Powder River Basin, seventeen thousand barrels a day, eighty six thousand eighty six thousand MCF a day of gas, and one hundred thirty seven wells. So that Wilson Basin production for uh, for EOG, and we'll talk about what they mentioned in their in their conference call, is that it's actually um, it was down substantially um, month over you know it's been decreasing month over month. However, um, they added some some wells recently, so I think they they completed um, a handful of wells, and that's increased production a little bit. How they stack up in terms of their peers in the Wilson Basin, they've definitely dropped a bit, but they're still um, one of the top ten producers. They are number ten. Um, and over the last several months, they've definitely they've actually increased output as opposed to the top four operators in in terms of production in the Wilson Basin, which is Continental, Whiting, Hess, and Exxon. They've all decreased production rather substantially. So that's um, that's how they stack up. And that's this is one thing where I think the investment community and private equity and a lot of folks are sort of discounting the Bakken. And, and I want folks to be a bit careful of that because, um, as I've discussed before, this is an area where um, a lot of these operators have their acreage held by production, which means they didn't need to put a lot of capital and resources in the solar price downturn into the Bakken. They needed to put them where uh, they don't have acreage, didn't have acreage held by production, and also where a lot of the hype was um, and where the shareholders wanted them to be. And that happened to be the, the Permian Basin, um, and that's where they've been. And that's not that the Permian Basin isn't great. It, um, it's, it's a substantial oil play, but it has driven a lot of the activity, especially for companies like EOG in comparison to the Bakken. Now, with regards to what EOG is doing um, in the Permian and Eagle Ford, now in the earnings calls, EOG is pretty specific and they don't break down actual, um, per, they don't do an actual production breakdown, um, a detailed production breakdown for their for the listeners. So they say they have in their earnings call 275,000 um, BOE a day of production in the third quarter. Um, 
they talk about even though, in quote, even in a low commodity price environment, 2016 is proving to be a breakout year for EOG with record well productivity, sustainable cost reductions, and organic growth in our core oil play, in core plays, coupled with a historic transaction that adds substantial high return growth potential. Obviously, they're referring to the eighth uh, acquisition and some other smaller acquisitions, I'm sure, too. So how does the uh, – and they discuss, and we'll talk about what they actually say within their, within their earnings. Um, I encourage you to check out, their, check out their slides. They're actually pretty good, and their, um, uh, their earnings press release because it, it summarizes a lot of this. Uh, and they, they have this sort of optimism as well as that they, um, at least for the company, they sort of view themselves as pretty optimistic in this oil price environment. They can sort of withstand this, this 45, 50 range. But they do note that they see it uh, pressing for other operators and producers, not just in the U.S., but around the world. Um, and also, they have a slide in, in their slide deck that, um, where they show, you know, what crude oil production costs are around the world and where they're at. And they put EOG in at um, a $30 break even, essentially. So that's just something um, interesting. Enough. So where does EOG, where's the, the driver in production growth? And as I said, the, the, most of the activity is being concentrated in um, the Permian and the Eagle Ford. And the Eagle Ford is really the powerhouse in terms of production growth. And it's been utilized, I think, in this downturn to sort of keep production levels um, maintained and, and increasing, and they, they know a lot about it. So it's been, they, they've often talked about the Eagle Ford as sort of their, their workhorse asset where they, um, and their, their sort of lab where they learn a lot about the rocks and can apply the, the rock techniques and drilling and completion techniques to other reservoirs. And that's certainly been the case. So right now, EOG, in the Eagle Ford reservoir, they are producing 211,000 barrels per day, uh, about 340,000 MCF a day of gas, and that's a, with um, 2,100 wells. That's pretty big. Production has kind of has come down a little bit, but they are the top um, operator, um, number one producer in the Eagle Ford by far. So as the Eagle Ford as Eagle Ford production has really come off rather substantially. So Eagle Ford production. Um, peaked um, in 2015, in the spring of 2015, at 1.6 million barrels per day, and it has, it has continued to decline as oil prices have declined, and it was actually probably a little vulnerable before that due to so much condensate production. But Eagle Ford, the Eagle Ford Reservoir, um, again in southern Texas, is production is just above 1 million barrels per day right now. And the majority of that decline and drop is largely been in the in the condensate window. So the reason EOG has continued to drill and produce out of the Eagle Ford is because, as I've mentioned before, they have the almost all their, their acreage is entirely in the crude oil window, um, in the product windows in the Eagle Ford. So um, other producers have a lot of assets in the Valda oil and condensate windows, which just not quite as good of, as quality. So EOG has done very well with the asset. Again, they have the number one producer underneath them um, is Chesapeake, that they've really increased production in the past um, several quarters of, of 14 uh, in the past several months up 14,000 barrels a day. ConocoPhillips is the third largest operator than Marathon, Devon, Anadarko, um, Marathon or Murphy Oil 7 and Pioneer Natural Resources, as I, I previously mentioned, is, is number eight in this. OK, so that's the Eagle Ford. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about what they've mentioned in their earnings call. Uh, but in the Permian Basin, EOG, again, if you take a look at these charts in, in the slide deck, um, the Permian Basin has really been a really big growth story. Uh, and they're, they're only producing 76,000 barrels per day in the Permian Basin, um, 259,000 MCFA gas, and this is 671 wells. But product, production has just continued to, to go up, so especially since 2014. The, the growth trajectory has been almost straight up. And that's pretty impressive in this oil price downturn, but it also is a result of, of them wanting to really delineate their assets. So they have a um, they have a slide in their slide deck which talks about the completed well costs coming down, and they have the Delaware Basin, Wolf Camp Oil Play, they have the South Texas Eagle Ford, and they have the Bakken, and they show these completed well costs. And the completed well costs are, in, in, for them, how they say it, includes drilling completion and well site facilities and flowback. So that's all included in these costs. And I think people would be a little bit surprised to understand that Delaware Basin Wolf Camp Oil Play, they say their um, in 2014 costs were 15.4 million. Now the 15.4 million obviously reflects that these were wells that they were putting a lot of science into. Okay, and they this was uh, 
you know, they didn't know a whole lot about these these wells. That's re- very, very expensive. In 2015, that had that cost down to 9.8. And by third quarter of 2016, they have it at 8.5 million, um, which is much better, but it's still relatively expensive. In the South Texas Eagle Ford, by comparison, they've reduced costs, but um, costs were about in Eagle Ford about 6 million. So they've reduced that to 4.6 million. And in the Bakken, whereas in 2014 costs were 8.8 million, they have reduced that to 4.9 million. And obviously they have targets to shave off a little bit more here. Okay, so back to what they've said in their um, in their in their press release and earnings release. So they increased spending on well completions. Um, they're actually gonna add some, they're planning to add more wells than they expected this year. So I think they're, drilling 90 wells and actually completing 80 of those wells and this wasn't planned before and they've increased uh, capital for this for 200 million uh they do talk about maintaining still growing and doing well with production um while maintaining cash flow and that uh being a little bit you know in in terms of their peers being able to withstand the solar price environment um and at 50 dollars oil now they in terms of the delaware basin so again that that left foot there EOG has, as we discussed in that Yates acquisition, they have a they very good acreage, um, or what seems to be very good acreage in on the New Mexico side. And we also talked in that previous podcast about how the New Mexico side of the Permian Basin, the wells um, just perform a little bit better. So on average, they've they've tended to have higher IPs and just increased well performance by about 100 barrels per day. And that's been true throughout this downturn. So uh, some of the EOG's wells in the Delaware Basin, particularly in New Mexico, have been absolutely outstanding. And they discussed that they, over the course of, of this downturn, EOG has been trying to, um, they talk about their premium drilling inventory. So they've been trying to increase their, their premium drilling inventory. And that that inventory is basically they're, they're analyzing the rocks better and they're establishing um, saying these wells or this area will drill, um, will drill it, and we'll get a a 30% rate of return at 30 dot oil or at 40 dot oil, and that's their sort of benchmark. Is that the after-tax rate of return has to be 30%? A direct after-tax rate of return has to be 30% at 40 dollar oil, and they say they have five billion. Uh, barrel oil equivalents for this and 6,000 drilling locations. So over the course of the year, they've increased. So they increased um, assets, their their premium assets in the Delaware Basin, partly because of the the ACE acquisition. And they have um, did this by 27% and have, they say they have 6,330 drillable locations of premium drillable locations now in the Delaware Basin. And the average um, lateral length for these has increased from 4,500 feet to 7,000 feet. Now, as I discussed before when I was talking about Pioneer, it is important to consider these lateral feet um, things or these lateral feet calculations because if you can have a longer lateral in the Permian Basin, the data suggests that you're much better off. So shorter laterals aren't what you want to do um, in the Permian Basin. And, and these companies are just getting to the point where they're drilling, drilling longer and longer laterals, and they need those contiguous acreage positions to do so. So in the, in the, Wolf, in the Delaware Wolf Camp, they've done the same thing. Second Bone Springs, which is so EOG is primarily um, focused on the Wolf Camp Reservoir and the Bone Springs um, in their acreage position, as opposed to Pioneer, who, like I said, is a Midland Basin, and they're focused on they're focused on the Texas side of the Wolf Camp, uh, the Wolf Camp Reservoir, and also the the Trendary Reservoir and the in the, in what they call the Sprayberry. Um, okay, so EOG's increased. Um, Increased reserves, they've increased drillable locations, especially um, in in the Delaware Basin, and they have about 400,000 net acres in the Delaware Basin. Now, moving on to the South Texas Eagle Ford, um, which is they they contested their largest contributor to EOG's U.S. crude oil production, and that's the case as as we've shown that, and you can see the in those charts. They've added 47 wells in the third quarter, and they have an average uh, lateral treated lateral foot length of 5,700 feet per well, um, and production pretty good on these with an average of a 1,400 barrel, um, barrel oil day production rate. For the Bakken and the Rockies, now EOG has been, uh, they've continued to do drill and, and have activity in, in Wyoming, in particular in the, in the Rockies, um, but they've been less so active, as I mentioned before, in the Bakken, and they did recently complete some wells. So in the third quarter, EOG said they completed nine wells in the Powder River Basin, um, and that was uh, averaging 840 barrels of oil per day per well. 
And um, important to know here, they talk about in their conference call and in the earnings release or in the earnings call, they actually talk about how they they're targeting a 15 foot um, window of a rock. So it's a it's a, a basically a 15 foot pay zone. So this is where the the better geo steering and and uh, targeting and saying in in zone is really helping them. And they also completed uh, completed a handful of wells in the DJ Basin. And then in the Bakken in particular, they completed 13 wells. Those averaged 763 barrels of, um, of oil per day. Uh, so I don't think we, we've seen really everything EOG is going to do in the Bakken, uh, but they just sort of started this, this back up a little bit. And we'll see where they go for the, for the rest of the year and what those well results look like. Okay, that's the, mainly the main highlights from their, their actual earnings, um, earnings release. So the other thing I'll add here just to conclude on, on EOG is really that, um, and we discussed this a lot in, in the paper that we, we wrote on um, for Oxford, is regarding the these well productivity gains. And EOG is sort of a standout in this. And But we really wanted to capture what these companies were sort of doing differently and, and how were companies sort of reducing costs. And EOG talks quite a bit um, in their previous conference calls about these enhanced completions. So sort of similar to Pioneer, uh, where they have this this... Uh, completion design program. EOG has discussed a lot about sort of rubbleizing around the wellbore, where they are very similar to Pioneer, who talks about allowing more rock to be connected um, closer to the wellbore. That's essentially what what EOG is saying as well is that they're sort of rubbleizing around the wellbore with these, and they're really promoting these enhanced completions, where they're they're doing this rock analysis, they're really mapping out where the good um, the good parts of the reservoir are, so they're reducing that that pay zone and, and the the site, the amount of feet they have to keep the lateral in, so that means they're utilizing the geo steering and lateral placement. They're definitely increasing the property um, down those well, the amount of property that goes down those wells. And remember, EOG does also own their own frac sand, so they can do this pretty liberally. And they're also increasing the lateral length, and that's important to point out. So it's not just increasing lateral length. I mean, you see it more most in the Permian Basin because they had shorter laterals and they've been extending them. Uh, but you're seeing it in a few other places as well. So just across the board, trying to get those lateral lengths longer, um, and also making sure that the you know that they're getting gains out of those lateral lengths. And from what we're seeing from all the wells, they they most definitely are. Um, this also means when they change the way. They're thinking about these completion designs. And this is a big step change in thinking. So when you are trying to keep your fractures closer to the wellbore, um, it means that you can do some different things. It means that you can probably use more sand. And, and I'm theorizing a bit here, but I think I'm, I'm onto something, is that you can put more sand down the well, meaning that you don't have to have the expensive ceramic propens or resin-coated propens and more expensive fluids like a hybrid or a gel that need to carry those propens out further. Because the goal now is not to carry the problems out further, it's to keep them really close around the wellboard, which means you can use a cheaper fluid, such as like a basic slick water. This is mainly water, a few chemicals, and a bunch of sand. And you can pump it at high rates, and you can pump it down this. And if, if you're analyzing and really understanding where you're placing those fractures and you're doing a better job of that cluster spacing, um, which these companies say they're doing and, and we're seeing in their well results, it's, it's yielding some returns. But what that's doing is it's decreasing the spacing between your wells. So if you no longer want the fractures to go out as far, you can put laterals closer together. So it's decreasing your um, your spacing, it's increasing your drillable locations, and it's increasing your reserves. And this all together is sort of increasing the efficiency with these wells because you're putting them closer, which means you can do more simultaneous operations and you can sort of you can drill them um, next to each other and then you can sort of complete them one by one after the other. And that helps a bit. Um, and it also helps for infrastructure costs because you have, you have things closer together. Okay, um, that's I think I'm, that's all I need to say on on that. I have a lot to say about it, and I would uh, encourage you to uh, you know email and some you know email me. We can talk about it further if you're interested in stuff. I'd love to talk about it more. So the last little bit on EOG is that um, they really do talk about being committed to being a leader in U.S. oil growth, but also being one of the lowest cost oil producers in the world, as I mentioned on on that thirty dollar break even. And um, they really don't believe that this this forties is going to work but they believe that UG can deliver strong growth um, at this point. So we will see how that works going forward. Uh, but that concludes our roundup for EOG resources.
concludes today's podcast. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to encourage you to check out the website, check out the Petronauts bundle, the sample of Taito Otales. Please contact us if you have any questions or want any, any more information. And uh, I look forward to speaking with you next month. And I'll be in, in Oxford, like I said, at the end of this month in London. So hopefully next month we're going to be discussing uh, the results of the OPEC meeting and what that means uh, for global producers, the global oil markets, and, and for U.S. producers in particular. 